Welcome back to the program. Almost no aspect of life has not been touched by the forward march of science and technology. The world of sports is no different. When we watch a game, or even multiple games, as in the Olympics, we want to see things that we've never seen before. The narrative of human performance drives our love of sports. And today, science is glad to oblige. As we learn more about the brain, the body, genetics, and biological evolution itself, science and engineering are finding new ways to enhance innate athletic ability. It's no accident, then, that the story abounded recently about how the newly minted world champion San Francisco Giants had hired a sleep expert to advise them on when best to travel. So what's going on in this world, and where will it all lead? That's what Wired editor Mark McCluskey set out to find out in his new book, Faster, Higher, Stronger. Mark McCluskey is the editor of Wired.com. Previously, he was a special projects editor at Wired and an editor and reporter at Sports Illustrated. It is my pleasure to welcome Mark McCluskey here to talk about Faster, Higher, Stronger, how sports science is creating a new generation of super athletes and what we can learn from them. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. One of the things that we're seeing that is changing is not any monumental change. There's no big change coming along, but these are small incremental changes that science and technology keeps finding which aggregated together is really making a profound difference in, in human performance in a lot of different sports. Yeah, I think that's one of the most powerful ideas that I found through, through my reporting on this book is, is there aren't any silver bullets. You know, there's no sort of magical thing that we're going to find tomorrow that suddenly we're going to run 10% faster. We, we've done all of that easy stuff already. And you mentioned marginal gains. British cycling was sort of a laughingstock for, for decades. And they turned that program around. A, a man named Dave Brailsford ran it, and, and his phrase is performance by the aggregation of marginal gains. Not looking for 5% in one place, but looking for a tenth of, per, of a percent in lots of little places. So lots and lots and lots of little improvements that once you stack them up together, then you're starting to talk about real margins at the elite level. And this is happening in, in a whole range of areas, whether it be in nutrition better understanding of the body, equipment itself, that, that it's happening in a whole range of different areas that, as you talk about, added together is really making a real difference in, in how teams or individuals perform. Exactly. You know, it's not, it's about looking at, at everything. So, you know, they spend millions of dollars working on the bicycles themselves to make sure that that technology is as good as it can be, that they're incredibly light, they're incredibly strong, they're very aerodynamic. They spend countless, countless hours working on data and analytics, so tracking each lap the rider rides and, and trying to understand what makes it one lap different from another. Did, did they deviate from the line, the shortest path around the track? Because if you do by a centimeter or two, that starts to matter at this level. Things as small as traveling with their own pillows. I love this. They they go on the road with their own pillows. We've all had the experience of waking up in the morning after being in a hotel on a crummy pillow, and our neck is killing us. You know, if, if that's the day before a huge competition, it's a problem. And so they bring their own pillows. Also, it helps them cut down on getting sick, um, which you get sick at the wrong time, and you've flown four years or eight years mm-hmm. or a lifetime of training. And so you just it's really, it's, it's sort of an obsessive, almost obsessive-compulsive focus on every small detail and what can you do for every single one of them to get a little bit better. 
And as all of these details need to be measured, talk about how important analytics is and really how important big data has become in this whole process. Yeah, it's crucial. It's, you know, one way to think about sports is as an experiment, as a scientific experiment. And if you aren't capturing data on that, if, if I don't know, was I faster today than yesterday? Was I faster, am I faster now than I was a year ago? I have no way to evaluate whether what I'm doing is working, whether there's any whether there's any improvement happening. So, so just simply capturing data is is crucial. That's the only way you can evaluate your success. And and I think that lesson actually applies much more broadly to all of our lives. That that having whatever it is, whatever our goals are, like having concrete goals and then capturing data against those goals is is really an important thing to do. One of the things that's important to keep in mind about this, I suppose, is how fundamentally different it is in an approach to sports. That a lot of us that might be old enough remember a sports world that was based on a coach's instinct or or a gut reaction or a feeling. This is a very different world than that. It's an incredibly different world. I mean, you know, you you think, I'll I'll pick on John Madden just because, you know, he's he's local (laughs) to us here. I mean, he used to have his teams practice in the midday sun on purpose because it would toughen them up, right? Like, actually, it, it didn't really toughen them up. What it did it was it, it made it harder for them to form, perform. They got less out of practice because the environmental conditions were really difficult. We, we used to be told not to drink water during exercise because it was somehow not manly or whatever, you know. So, you know... We look at those things now, and we're sort of like, "Oh, that's ridiculous, right?" But I, you know, imagine that same thing in twenty years. In twenty years, we might look back and be like, "Oh, like you used to like train for a bike race this way? Like that's ridiculous. You, you know, that's that's like primitive." Now, now we understand that a completely different way of approaching this is a much more effective way. You know, just the baseline has become so much higher. Like the the baseline of what makes for for a good athlete, and what you need to do to be competitive is is so much higher than it used to be. And one of the things that we're doing is seeing things in a way that even the human eye couldn't see, some of these motion tracking cameras and and really monitoring something like the arc of a basketball shot. Yeah, you know, the, the, the way that technology can augment our understanding of the physical world is a big part of this, from you mentioned basketball. There's a system now in every NBA arena called SportView that captures with six cameras um, the location of everything on the court 25 times a second, every player, the ball, the officials. And, you know, you can reconstruct what happens in a basketball game now in data and understand, like, how valuable is it to take a shot from a certain position on the court or... How important is it that a specific defender is near the basket versus another defender? Like, do, are they more effective? Do they stop more shots? The answer is yes. Um, but you can start to quantify those things. Where, you know, what's the best way to defend a pick and roll? You know, th- these are questions that that are we we have a lot of historical answers to, but we don't have a lot of actual data and a lot of information. And in the past three or four years, we're really getting this explosion. In that, in that data. To what extent are we finding that within team sports, different than individual performance, but within team sports, 
the data only has a finite value. Certainly when we look at the way it's used by, by Billy Bean, for example, the analytics only goes so far. So, so let me push you on that. You know, the, the, the analytics, you know, analytics don't win games. You know, there, there is still a physical performance at, right. the, at the end of this whole chain of information that has to happen. Let's take the trade for John Lester this year. Um, a, a lot of people, I'm an A's fan, a lot of people have argued that because the A's didn't win, then the trade for Lester was a bad trade. You know, that's confusing two different things. That's confusing an outcome with a decision. You know, John, the trade for John Lester didn't cause other players to get hurt, for instance. And so mm-hmm. we, we tend to think, like, when two things happen in sequence, we tend to view them as having caused one another, and that's not always the case. So you're right. Analytics can only take you so far, but I, I, I am perfectly comfortable saying analytics will teach you much more about the situation <laughs> than not having them. One of the other things that we're also learning about is the value of nutrition and lots of information about the human body. A, a, a theme that runs through the book is how extremely individual we are. You know, and, and it sounds a little bit trite, but we're such unique creatures, every single one of us. And nutrition is a place where that really comes to the fore. Your body and my body handle the fuel that we put in them completely differently. They just do. And so this idea that there's a diet, you know, here's the best diet for athletes, it, it, it's false. It, it, that can't be the case because all of us are so different. So it's really, again, a, about trying different things and, and seeing what works for you. And that goes back to some of that capturing data to, to really evaluate the choices you're making and how they're having an effect on your life and your body. It's also filtering down and having an effect on the weekend athlete or the weekend golfer, as it were. It, all of this is, you know, the um, from the equipment, you know, as, as a golfer myself, you know, the equipment in golf has changed very profoundly over the past two decades. Um, you know, PGA Tour pros drive the ball about 29 yards further than they used to. Um, I do not drive it quite so much further than that, but... <laughs> I hit the ball a lot further than I do. The game is easier because of the equipment that we play it with. Um, you know, what's a thing that's unique about golf in some ways is golf is a sport where the best technology actually benefits the worst player. You know, mm-hmm. you can make clubs that are much more forgiving. Tour players don't play those clubs. They play forged blades that look like the same clubs Ben Hogan and Jack Nicklaus played with. So, you know, in, in most sports, the highest technology is really only relevant to the best performers. You know, when it comes to bikes, having some crazy light, super high-tech bike really doesn't make a, a competitive difference until I'm at the super elite level. You know, the, the weekend rider, I would say, like, you know, train more would be a much more important thing to do than, than buy the best bike available. But golf sort of inverts that. One of the areas that we're also seeing tremendous knowledge having an impact on performance is the more we learn about the brain and that so much of, of any game or any athletic endeavor is really a mental exercise as much as anything else. I mean, it, yeah, I think almost everything is is, uh, is highly focused on the brain. There's a chapter in the book that uh, that... I love about the notion of fatigue and what, mm-hmm. what is fatigue when we go for a run or when we go to the gym and lift weights and we feel tired. What is that? 
And for most for most of the history of the science of this, we've thought it was at the mus you know at the muscle level that that I used a muscle and it ran out of energy or waste products built up in it, and then it wouldn't work anymore. But then you start to do research and you find things that when that muscle fails, when you can't lift that weight, only about 40% of the muscle fibers in the muscle are being used. That doesn't really make sense, does it? And, and you find that the brain is regulating that performance. The brain is deciding how many of those fibers fire in that situation. And it turns out that what the brain does is tries to make sure that the body can complete an activity as it understands it. So if I'm going to go run 5K, my brain starts me out at a pace that it calculates subconsciously that it knows that I can run five kilometers in. So I go out and start running five. If you tell me I'm going to run 5K and then halfway through you tell me, oh, no, actually run 10, I can keep running at, at a fast pace because my brain has, has sort of been hacked. I've, I've, I've thwarted those expectations. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating tension. Isn't that also what's happening, the degree to which the brain is hacked? This whole business about fooling yourself into thinking you've had more carbs than you've had. Yeah, the um, yeah, this is another incredible thing. If um, if if you're in the middle of exercise and I give you um, something like Gatorade or something that has a lot of carbs in it, and I don't even let you swallow it, but I just have you swish it around your mouth and spit out, um, you'll run faster. You will be able to run faster. Your brain anticipates through sensors in your mouth that carbs are coming for fuel and will allow you to access more energy. One of the things that you come back to repeatedly in, in so many of these stories and so many different sports is the importance of sleep. That seems to be universal. It is. You know, we have this, we have this cultural thing around sleep, um, certainly in the U.S., where, where people brag about not needing much sleep. <laughs> um, and... The, the more I researched this, the crazier I thought that was. Sleep is amazing, and it's incredibly necessary for all of us, and most of us don't get enough. Um, but it's not just, you know, it, it certainly preserves the abilities we have, but then you can start to do research, and, and some of this has been done. If you encourage athletes to sleep more and more, um, their physical performance improves with extended sleep. So sleep as of a performance enhancer is a really interesting frontier to look at. Um, lots of pro sports franchises are now starting to work with sleep consultants because their travel schedules you know, have wreaked such havoc on their sleep. What role are we finding that genetic information plays? Genetics have a huge role. You know, I think that you know, one of the fundamental tensions in science for years has been sort of nature versus nurture. Like, are, are we born mm -hmm. with abilities or do we develop them? And the answer is both. We, we are born with genetic proclivities. We are born with genetic um, potential. It, what, what practice and hard work does is allow us to express that potential to a greater or lesser degree. Um, one geneticist uses the metaphor of a bucket. Um, your, your genetic potential is the size of the bucket, and um, work and practice is sort of how high you fill that bucket up. Are we seeing 
in all of this, though, that there are limits, that there's just so many small things that we can add to the equation, that at some point we're going to run up against limits, at least in certain endeavors? Um, So we seem to be seeing sort of the curve of our improvement flattening out, which, you know, mathematically suggests a limit, that we're approaching a limit and it's harder and harder. Um, I, I talk about a researcher in the book who's actually looked at um, track and field and compared it to thoroughbred horse racing and greyhound racing. And, and, and both of those animal types of racing haven't seen any improvement in decades, statistically. You know, there, you'll, you'll get sort of outlier performances here and there, but the general level of performance has remained the same. That hasn't happened for humans yet, but he suggests we're, we're nearing that plateau. Um, I think two things. I, th- I think it's important to recognize that, that, yeah, improvement doesn't come free forever as a species. Uh, but I also think it's important to realize that, that that's sort of given our current understanding of ourselves and the world, and part of what's changing so quickly right now is that understanding. That There might be, you know, in the far future, somebody probably will run 100 meters in eight seconds. They just might not look anything like we think a human being looks like today as we evolve. Certainly this is an element where biological evolution plays a part and our greater understanding of genetics and really breeding in certain performance factors. I mean, it's very Brave New Worldish, but it is something that one can imagine in this context. One can imagine. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 a scary notion, right? This this idea of you know, we're comfortable with breeding horses for speed. Right. We're comfortable with breeding dogs for speed. We're not comfortable with breeding humans for speed for you know, for some good reasons, both historical and and just just those other factors. I think that um, I think one interesting thing that happens, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, just as a, a sidelight, is how many elite athletes marry other elite athletes? Right. Um, and and the, the term that one researcher uses for that is assortative mating, that, that you meet people who are like you and are also elite athletes. So, um, for instance, Ashton Eaton, who is the world record holder in the decathlon, um, just married a woman named Brianne Thiessen, who is an um, elite heptathlete, the women's equivalent of the uh, decathlon, and has been a world championship silver medalist so it, it might be interesting to see what their kids athletic ability is um, if and when they have them certainly we've seen a little bit of that on the intellectual side in certain high-end universities in certain situations there there's no reason to assume it wouldn't uh, be true or we wouldn't see more of it on the athletic side yeah exactly i think you're right mark mccluskey his book is faster higher stronger how sports science is creating a new generation of super athletes and what we can learn from them. Mark, I thank you so much.